you spooktacular people. Welcome to History Goes Bumps 6th Anniversary. Whoop whoop! On this episode, we're going to one of those big ones, Kelly. I'm sure it's a place every one of our listeners has heard of. I'm certain. The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. When I visited San Antonio a couple of years ago, I went inside the Manger Hotel, and it is extraordinary. On this episode, I'm going to be bringing you Haunted Cemeteries 15. I know many of you are very happy to hear that because you love the Haunted Cemeteries episodes. We're going to be talking about Mad Dr. McDowell and his medical college. Nice. Kelly, on this episode, we are heading down to New Orleans. and We're going to check out some haunted brothels down there. Excellent. Join myself, Kelly, and three listeners on this investigation of the Velisca Axe Murder House. Kelly, we have a special guest joining us that longtime listeners have heard before. We have Mom joining us. How are you, Mom? Very good, and thank you for having me. And I'm your host, Kelly. Wait, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> I said, and I'm your host, Kelly. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Wait, what? 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 <laughs> I guess the cat is out of the bag. Kelly is now going to be joining me as co host of the History Ghost Bump podcast. I'm so excited. Gosh, I can hardly believe it's been six years that I've been producing this podcast, Kelly. It has been a journey and a spectacular one at that. So six years ago, I decided that I wanted to host a podcast, and I knew if I was going to do a podcast, it had to have something to do with haunted history. And I thought, you know, I love ghost tours. Wouldn't it be cool to do something that would be like a virtual ghost tour for people where we take them to a location, tell them the history, and then tell them about the ghosts? And then I made that early decision that everybody really likes. And I love it when we have listeners who write us and add that into their emails or comments that's for you to decide whether something is haunted or not. Absolutely. And of course, it's a ghost tour for the theater of the mind. Indeed. <laughs> Kelly, you're, you're going to be so happy. I finally got around to changing the intro on episode number one. I decided two years ago to put a little extra intro onto the beginning of the first episode because over time, things have clearly changed when it comes to history goes bump. And I wanted people to be aware of it. Plus, some people, I don't think, think about the fact that episode one, again, was six years ago when I didn't know what I was doing when it came to audio editing, what equipment we needed to have, how to record things. We weren't sure about what kind of a format would appeal to listeners. I wanted to caution people, what you're about to listen to now is nothing like it is today. Podcasts had started kind of around 2007, but they really were starting to gain traction about the time that I started doing this and where people were actually figuring out what a podcast was. Right. People were just kind of getting introduced. There were a few that were listening prior to that, I think. Mm -hmm. But it really started to gain popularity, especially as our modern radio shows were losing the, the morning talk shows with the DJs and things of that nature. People were turning a little bit more to podcasts to kind of streamline their interests, I think. 
Yeah. And I always feel kind of like, usually I'm behind the times and not really hip and that kind of thing. But I actually was doing an internet radio show in 2009. So right, you right at the cusp. Of, yeah, you were you were ahead of the game, I think. <laughs> yeah, and anybody goes back and listens to the audio on that. Oh my God, it was horrible. Five years ago, I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to highlight the people who really make the podcast what it is? And that's listeners, because without them, we're just talking to each other. Exactly. And, and I mean, I like talking to you, but it's more fun when we have feedback. That is true. <laughs> so I wanted to do some kind of a writing contest because I'm a writer. It's something that I really enjoy. And it's a little bit different than what we normally do. But I didn't want to have all these short stories coming in that were like pages and pages. So I was like, it has to be something that we could share with everybody really quick. And so I was like, well, flash fiction. And a lot of the time flash fiction is the limit is a thousand words. And for people who aren't writers or don't know, short stories are probably the hardest thing you can write because you've got to get characters and a story and wrap it up pretty quickly. Right. I was going to say it's one of the most challenging to do. And so flash fiction, doing that in a thousand words is really tough. So if you can write flash fiction, you can write anything. So to anybody who has contributed to our flash fiction in the past or this year, just think about that. You guys are very brave and very accomplished for being able to write flash fiction. Absolutely. This year, we had 15 entries. Actually, a couple of our contributors sent more than one entry. We had so many great stories that we were really having a hard time deciding who was going to be our winners. And for the first time ever, we're actually going to do three runner-ups instead of just two. That is true. We were very torn. And that's because Kelly twisted my arm, threw me down on the floor, and <laughs> smothered me. I did not. It really came down to we were both really attached to three stories as runner-up. And it was like, you know what? Why don't we just read them all? We'll just do all three of them. I beat her down. It's, it's the truth. <laughs> I did not. Fourth degree black belt be damned. Now, for those of you who don't make it into number one, two, or three, or the three runner-ups, your stories will still be heard in the light of day or the depths of the night, because we will be sharing those on our Christmas Eve episode that we do, where we like to share scary stories. Definitely. So that will be wonderful. Before we get into talking about that, I do want to cover the fact that we have made a few accomplishments here. We are now an award-nominated podcast. We are. Because we got that nomination last year, which carried over into this year. And that's why we were in New York in March. Right. It's COVID hit. Yes. <laughs> so it was really cool. So we flew into COVID land and actually got out of there without having anything happen to us besides freezing to death. <laughs> well, this is true. I, I do think I had a little bit of hypothermia that night. When did we add you to the podcast? You've Have you been here for a year now? I think think was it last december officially yeah so you're not you haven't even been doing the podcast like officially 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 no for I'm a not. year yet <laughs> no but you've been doing a great job you were helping me out with some of the specials and joining in when we do an investigation and you were there for the investigation and i just thought you know we have such a great chemistry and i think the show is just so much better with two people rather than just one and I think it's so much better with you and I. It just, we click. You are my twin flame. 
my soulmate. And I've just been so blessed to have you come into my life and to share this with me because obviously it's a major part of my life. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. And yes, I love doing the podcast with you. And we are so blessed to have the listeners that we have. We are up to 5 million downloads. That is just amazing. It blows my mind because I thought maybe my folks would listen and some friends. (laughs) So (laughs) either I've got a lot of friends or we must be putting out something that people like to listen to. That's almost a million downloads a year. We have a spooktacular family. Well, that is true. (laughs) We definitely do. And it, it continues to grow. And currently we have 210 of our listeners who are executive producers of the show. And that is also amazing to us. I I do want to say again, thank you so much to our executive producers, because truly you are the heart of the show. You help us make this happen. When it comes to the executive producers that have supported us as well, whether it's a one-time donation or people that have been here for a little time to support us and then have gone and, you know, either spread their money around or things change for them. Right. And And so thank you to all of them that have been supportive of us in that way. Absolutely. We're so grateful. And then, of course, we have our listeners who support us in other ways by either writing reviews or most importantly, the most important thing that you can do for this show is to share it because that's how people hear about it. Definitely. And we want to thank our moderators at the Spooktacular crew. It's a thankless job. These people don't get paid to do it. And they help us to monitor to make sure that we don't get things in there that we don't want to have in there. We have kids in there. So we want to try to keep it at a PG-13 kind of level. And so we just really appreciate them. Yes, our moderators are awesome. And it is a thankless job. So thank you. So first and foremost, we want to thank Wes Hawkins, who not only is a moderator, but he's also been heading the virtual trick-or-treat, which is another thankless job. Most definitely. And it's challenging. And then we want to thank our other moderators, Sarah Grace, Shelley Emery, Kristen Calderon, Kristen Swintek, and Tanya Hines. Thank you so much for your help, guys. We definitely appreciate you guys so much. And thank you because, you know, that helps take a load off of our shoulders as we're, we're doing our day-to-day and working on the podcast. So our first runner up here is The Headache, and it's written by Tom, and I hope I'm saying this right, Strawn, S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. I woke from a dead sleep to blinding pain in my head. My head felt like a ball with too much air. I thought my skull was going to come apart. With a dizzying effort and a groan, I sat up in the dark. My clock's blue display read 2.45 a.m. I didn't know what was wrong, but I knew it would take at least eight Advil to kill it groaning, I stood up and braced myself on the wall. I glanced back in the gloom and saw my wife was still sleeping. Carefully, I made my way out of the darkened room towards the bathroom and the blessed medicine cabinet. The light in the hallway flickered on as I shuffled to the bathroom, and I congratulated myself, not for the first time, for springing for the fancy new motion sensor lights. A bark behind me nearly sent me out of my skin. I spun to find our corgi, Bandit, barking at me like he'd never seen me. Go lay down. Just shut up before you wake her up. I whispered as another wave of dizziness hit me. He never acted like that, even with strangers. What the hell? I turned and headed into the bathroom and the light flicked on by itself. I paused, then I saw myself in the mirror. My face was a pallid gray-white. I hoped I wasn't sick. I had a presentation at work in the morning. I couldn't afford that. As I reached out to open the mirror door of the medicine cabinet, my wife screamed in panic from our room. Instantly, my headache was forgotten as I rushed into the room. My wife was sitting up in bed, her lamp on, screaming. Honey, what is it? There was someone laying in the bed where I had just woken up from not five minutes before. I started towards the figure, bawling my hands into fists. 
All right, you son of a... He was laying on his side, a trickle of blood coagulating from his ear. My wife pulled him over by the shoulder. My headache came roaring back as I stared into my own unseeing eyes. It's been 20 years now, and my headache still persists. Ooh, Kelly. (laughs) That was so good. I mean, how many of us can't relate to that? (laughs) Yeah, waking up in the middle of the night with a headache? Yes. I hope you can't relate to the fact that you've come back to bed to see your dad. Well, of course. (laughs) No, I cannot relate to that. (laughs) But you can imagine that his wife wakes up because she hears the medicine cabinet opening and then she looks over and he's dead. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Do you want to read our next runner up? Sure. Okay. So our next runner up is The Bells by Nancy Doy. And Kira Wilson, her daughter, actually helped her to edit down her entry from 1900 words to 1000. Wow. So she helped her cut it in half. That's a challenge. That's a major edit. (laughs) We have to chop half this story out. Wow. And it's still a fantastic story. Indeed. The faint muffled tinkle of bells caught my attention as my mother discovered a box, asking, what's this? I turned to see she had unearthed a light cardboard box covered in brown paper and wrapped in string. I don't remember this, my mother puzzled. Cassie, could you get me scissors? My mother's family was small her brother Leo, his daughter Tammy, and my mom and I. We were in my grandmother's house following her death about six months ago, and it was day four of the great house cleaning. Everything had to go. Boxed up to take home, maybe for a cousin or friend, donated or thrown away. We were in a bedroom with my grandmother's extraneous stuff, from her kids' toys to door prizes from church. She couldn't throw anything out, always saying, Moat Tanai, what a waste. I returned to my mom, struggling with the wrappings on the box. Wow, so much string. Guess they really wanted to keep it sealed. The outside brown paper was dusty, but we could see Sharpie handwriting. Too bad I don't read Japanese anymore, sighed my mom. Opening the box, she pulled out a figure wrapped in Japanese newspaper, the tinkling of bells rising once again. Her excitement was audible. I think it's a Japanese doll, you know, like the ones in the living room. The doll had long black hair, elaborately coiffed like a geisha, and her face was white with the tiniest red bow lips. Her kimono was mostly red with flowers of all kinds and dangling at the ends of long sleeves. On brightly colored ribbons were the tiny bells. What drew my attention, though, were her eyes. Glass and so realistic. My mom now sounded uncertain. I don't remember this one, she said. I didn't either. My grandmother had shown me everything in this house. The nooks, the crannies, the treasures, but never this. She is beautiful, sighed my mother. She was stunning. The gorgeous kimono, the small decorations in her perfect hair, her tiny fingers grasping the sleeve so delicately. But there was something sad, maybe cruel, about her expression. I agreed with my mom, but couldn't help adding, but there's something creepy about her eyes. When I was a little girl, my friends and I would dare each other to look into the glass eyes of a doll. They were said to come alive if you did. My mother laughed. When I was little, I used to do traditional Japanese dance. One year, our recital theme was a toy store, and we pretended to be dolls that came alive and danced at night. I actually did the dance with bells on the end of the sleeves. I wonder why my mother never showed me this. We debated what to do with her, but... In the end, I convinced my mom that she already had enough to take home and the doll should go to someone else. Go ask Tammy, she said, clearly not wanting to give the doll away just to anybody. 
Neither Tammy nor Uncle Leo wanted it, so the box was placed carefully in the pile destined for donation. Later, I walked into the kitchen to find our small dog we had brought cowering under the coffee table. What's wrong? I cooed. He whined and I pulled him out from underneath. When I looked closer, his nose was scratched and bleeding just a bit. Ah, did you scratch your nose yourself, boy? He looked at me expectantly for a treat, so I got him one and let him out, never thinking twice about it. We had pizza for dinner, the dinner of the moving dead. Exhausted, we sat in the living room for the last evening. I looked over at the pile of things we were taking and the other pile for giving away, and I noticed the box with the doll in it had moved over to the take-home pile. Who's taking the doll home? We looked at each other and no one said anything. You know, that doll that we found today. It's in the take-home pile. Uncle Leo just shook his head. Tammy reported that she had enough to take home, thank you very much. I looked at Mom. Nope, I have enough. Yeah, she's not coming home with me. Before I moved her back into the giveaway pile, I opened the box one more time. The dark eyes stared placidly at me. Sorry, little one, I said. It hit me then, her tiny perfect hand. It had a small dark red stain on it. Was it there this afternoon? I slowly put the lid back on, but not before catching that hint of a smile. Or was it a grimace on the doll's face? That night, I thought nothing could awaken me as I quickly fell, no, crashed into sleep. But I was pulled into consciousness by a question. Why is Moki whining again? I pulled him close, and then I heard the faintest tinkling. Was it bells? My eyes wanted to stay shut, but then the sound came again. This time, I swear, I heard something moving on the other side of the old couch. I popped up. Moki cowered. I waited for what seemed like forever, but no further sound or movement. It's okay, little guy. Must have been a wind chime. Maybe a neighbor's. The next day was busy. I could tell we were all tired. I came to the front door, and there by the trash can was the open, empty box. I know it was the same old box that had held the doll. You could tell. But where was the doll? A shiver ran up my spine, and I didn't know what to do. Should I tell someone? They'll think I'm crazy. Maybe I am. I left, closing and locking the door as I heard the faintest tinkling of small bells in the distance. Oh, I hate those haunted dolls. (laughs) Dolls overall tend to be a little creepy, to me at least. And then with tinkling little bells on top of it, so you know when it's coming for you. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. As we hear the dog's tags jingle (laughs) in the middle of the night. This runner-up is our top runner-up. Almost made it into third place. Really tough. This is Breaking into Graham Park, written by Kate Capaneer. I'm bored, Shannon sighed as she flopped herself back on the pillows on the floor of my bedroom. It's Saturday night. We should go do something. Like what, I asked, picking at my comforter. I was laying on my stomach looking over the edge of the bed at her. That sneaky smile she wore so well spread across her face as she sat up again. When my mom dropped me off, they were finishing another tour at Graham. The old lady was running it. Her eyes narrowed as her smile got bigger. And what do you want to do? Break in? I could feel a small pit in my stomach forming. My mom made me go on a tour last week. We were there until the end of the night, and that lady definitely did not lock the house. Shannon leaned forward so her face was directly in front of mine. We should go and see if it's open, just to poke around. The pit in my stomach grew. While I didn't mind going out and having a little adventure, poking around a possibly haunted manor house the night before Halloween did not sound like a smart idea. While I tried to hold my ground, 
Eventually, I gave in to Shannon's begging. Before I knew it was happening, we were pulling on our identical track team sweatshirts, sneaking down the stairs, and out of my parents' house. Grand Park wasn't far, but there were no streetlights and it was overcast, so there was barely any moonlight. It was late enough that we didn't want to draw attention to ourselves, so we didn't say much as we walked. While my first reaction to Shannon's idea had been a hard no, my heart was starting to race at the thought of getting inside Graham without a chaperone. I'd been there close to 10 times in my life for 4th of July picnics, a Christmas pageant, and last year a walking ghost tour of the grounds. The ghost tour had been the most interesting of these mini field trips. Like most colonial manor houses, Graham Park was riddled with its own painful history of soldiers' deaths, a woman whose children died, a lover's betrayal, and other dramas related to the human condition. Shannon and I approached the front door of the manor house in silence. She reached out for the doorknob and tried to turn it, but it wouldn't open. Hoping to jar it loose, she threw her weight into it. Still, the door didn't open. Raising both of her hands, she hit the door in frustration. Oh well, I sighed. We should probably head back. She considered it for a moment, and then that smile returned. There's a door in the kitchen. Let's try that. Shannon didn't even wait for my response before jumping off the top step of the porch, landing with a solitary crunch in the leaves on the ground. Before I even got to the last step of the porch, she had already sprinted around the side of the house and out of sight. Sighing again, I followed her trail in the leaves, shaking my head at her persistence. When I came to the back door of the house, Shannon had already gone inside without bothering to wait for me. The door was left ajar, soliciting me to join her. Standing in the doorway, I called for her, but she didn't answer. I went into the old kitchen and used the flashlight on my cell phone to see where I was going. The light reflected off the cauldron-type pot stirring in the old stone fireplace. As I looked around the kitchen, I heard Shannon's footsteps in the room overhead. I called out for her again, but she ignored me. Typical Shannon. Annoyed that we were now breaking about five laws, I headed for the stairs at the front of the house. Shannon, I hissed as I clambered up the steps. Still, she ignored me. When I got to the top of the steps, an icy chill ran through my entire body, starting at my heart and radiating through to my fingers and toes. It stopped me in my tracks. Shannon, I begged, I want to leave. I heard her still moving around the master bedroom, continuing to ignore my pleas. Following her childlike giggle, I stormed into the room using my flashlight to guide me. That's when it suddenly stopped working. Panicking, I closed the flashlight app on my phone and went back into it. Still, the light would not turn on. It was now pitch black in the room. Fun's over, I snapped. It's time to go. She slammed the closet door in the far corner of the room closed in response. Absolutely over her games, I said, if you make me drag you out of that closet, I'm telling my parents that this was your idea. No answer. Crossing the room to open the door of the closet, I was shocked when the knob would not turn. I tried opening it again. Nothing happened. That's when I heard Shannon clearly for the first time in what felt like hours. Callie, where are you? Her familiar voice shouted. It wasn't coming from the closet, though. I looked out the window of the bedroom and saw her frantically pacing the side garden. If she was outside, who was in the closet? Not wanting to find out, I turned and ran to the steps, flying down them and bolting out the front door. Landing in the leaves at the base of the porch, I couldn't catch my breath as I collapsed in a heap. Shannon was at my side in an instant, brushing my hair out of my face and checking me over to make sure I was not hurt. Why were you inside by yourself? She asked me, her eyes searching my face for some kind of answer. You were the one who left the door open and didn't wait for me, I shouted at her. What are you talking about? The kitchen door was locked too, Shannon responded. We both looked back at the house before she pulled me to my feet. Standing in the bedroom window where I'd just been minutes before was a small child in white. Without a second glance, Shannon grabbed me by the wrist and we both sprinted down the drive and back up the street to my parents' house. 
That gave me chills. Yeah. Especially <laughs> this is a real location. So it's very right. cool. And supposedly it's a real haunted location. I'm assuming that there is a little child that haunts it. I would hate to be standing in that bedroom and going, okay, what's holding the door? I wouldn't have been able to door. sprint down those stairs. I would have fallen A over T's. Especially because <laughs> if you think about it, her flashlight was not working on her right. phone. So it was pitch black. So yeah, I would have been sliding down those stairs pretty fast. I would have been tumbling. Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> doubt that. Grace is not my middle name. It's not your first name either. <laughs> Tis not. All right. So now we have our three winners. This is number three. This is Intelligent by David Knoppel. And that means David is not only going to be getting a medal, but he also will be getting a t-shirt. So very cool. Congratulations, David. The closet door threw open with a loud slam. The sound set me leaping out of my bed and stumbling to the ground. That's when I saw the figure emerging. He was a tall, bulky man dressed in a long black coat. To tell the truth, I didn't take a long look at him considering my eyes were focused on the gun he held in his right hand. I pushed myself up off the ground and turned to rush for my bedroom door, my body moving instinctually toward the front door of the home. It wasn't too far. I just had to go down the hall, through the living room, then out the front door. However, outrunning a man with a gun was unlikely. Still, I moved. I burst out into the darkened hall and my shoulder slammed into the wall of the hallway. I winced at the feeling, but I couldn't slow my body even if I wanted to. I scrambled down the hall as heavy bootsteps came from behind me. And then... The first gunshot rang out. I knew it was coming and readied myself for the pain in my leg. However, I still cried out in pain when the bullet tore into the flesh of my thigh. I stumbled to my knees at the end of the hall and practically dragged myself into my living room. I could see the front door ahead of me now, a taunting beacon of hope that I knew I'd never reach. An opening to my left led to the dining room, and that's when I saw the other people. Three men stood and stared at me in shock. Two had small handheld cameras that were pointed in my direction, while the third aimed his flashlight at me. I tried to will myself to move toward them, to cry and beg them all for help. My body didn't listen to me. Instead, it forced my head to look forward toward the front door and remain silent as the pain in my leg slowed me to a crawl. The three men didn't come to help me either. Of course they wouldn't. I kept crawling, the pain in my leg increasing as I neared the door. I tried once again to force my body to comply with my demands. I could do something else, maybe. Roll under some furniture and hide or something. Then perhaps I might finally escape this. My muscles once again ignored me and continued pulling me toward the door. My heart fell as my hand rose to reach for the doorknob. It was so close. Freedom was so close. I'd never reach it. The second shot rang out from behind me and there was a split second of pain when the bullet entered the back of my skull. My vision immediately went black and I felt my body slump lifelessly against the door. A familiar blackness consumed me. It wrapped me in a void so tight that movement was impossible. I remained there for... I could never figure out how long. No matter how much I tried to keep track of the minutes, 
The concept of time always seemed to slip away from me here. The darkness never lasted forever, at least. It would recede away and start to form the shapes of my bedroom. Pieces of furniture came into view. The bed I now laid on, my TV stand, the windows showing night outside, and the closet. The tight grip of the void loosened on me, but my muscles still wouldn't follow my commands. They didn't start to move until the closet door slammed open once again. And again, I leapt and stumbled out of my bed as my eyes focused on that gun-wielding man emerging from my closet. As I rose to my feet and ran for my bedroom door, I wondered if I'd see those three men in the dining room again. I'm pretty sure I knew why they'd been there last night. Investigators looking into the strange phenomenon of a figure running from the bedroom to the front door in an attempt to escape a killer, only to be gunned down right before freedom. How would they refer to me? Perhaps a residual energy recorded by the home of a tragic experience where an intruder murdered a young man as he attempted to escape. As it does not react to any outside stimuli, we believe it is a residual haunting and not intelligent. Last part is where they'd be wrong. I was murdered here. My life snuffed out as I desperately tried to escape that maniac in my home. However, a residual haunting implies that there's no sentience in that ghost. Like the haunting was a movie the house played on a nightly loop. What they don't know is that I can think. I am aware. I can see, hear, and feel everything happening to me especially the gunshot that once again was now tearing through my leg as I continued to play out the last moments of my life. I wasn't a residual haunting. I was intelligent. We're all intelligent. Wow. That one, too. It gives me chills because it puts a whole different spin on everything that we perceive Hmm? as a residual haunting. I never once have ever thought about what if this residual ghost really is intelligent and trapped in this loop that they don't even want to be in, that they're trying to fight against. Exactly. That, to me, would be the definition of hell on earth. Absolutely. If you had to continue to play that over and over again. So, wow. Really great, David. Thank you for giving us that perspective. Wonderful. And now Kelly is going to read our second place winner. This person not only has won a medal, but they will be getting a long sleeve t-shirt with the HGB logo on it. Insatiable by Nicole Cartarelli. It feels wonderful to have a body again. The senses return, overwhelming at first, but I soon grow accustomed to it. The feeling of blood flowing and the heart beating acute. I clench and unclench my slender fingers, hands as smooth and pale as marble. I hear a whimper and finally look up to see the four figures in front of me. They gather close to one another. Their eyes are wide and gleaming in the darkness. I can imagine the sight they see. Their beloved friend is standing before them. The same girl with long ebony hair and tall figure. A foolish girl. But there is a difference. Her brown eyes now glow an unnatural green. I can see it reflected in their eyes. At first, I found it startling, but now I find it fascinating. The four young things, two boys and two girls, stand as frozen and immobile as statues. My eyes may give off light, but the rest of the room is cast in the darkest of dark. They are blinded by it, but I can see as if it were daylight. Before I could use this new mouth to speak a word, one of the girls swallows hard and detaches from the group. The boy next to her, a beautiful one with eyes of sapphires and curls of gold, grabs her arm. It takes strength, but she manages to get out of his hold and face me once again. She takes a few steps forward, putting her body in front of her three friends. 
I can't help but let out a small laugh. But the girl cuts it short when her sharp words fill the air. Who are you and what do you want with us? It is unexpected and I'm almost impressed with her boldness. But why would this little speck get or even deserve an answer? Instead, I say in the voice of the girl and of my own, I'll start with you. I raise my arm and clench my fist. The act drains some of my earthly energy, but I have learned how to not deplete it entirely. The girl moves towards me at a fast pace, her feet not acting on their own accord. My hand is locked around her throat before she can scream. The pretty boy lets out a shout of surprise. (gasps) But with another gesture of my hands, the three are thrown backwards. The sounds of their bodies hitting the ground are satisfying. The girl makes a noise through her gasps, but I ignore it. I have a new idea to play out. I move out of the room, the girl being dragged with me, the tips of her feet sliding across the carpet. I make sure the door slams shut behind me. I observe how freeing my clothing is, and it never ceases to amaze me. No heavy petticoats, bustled skirts, or corsets to seal your air and crush your ribs. In a few strides, I'm down the hallway of the manor that was once my home long ago. The grand staircase curves downward in front of us. The skin around the girl's face is starting to discolor, and she continues to kick frantically. I loosen my hold, but not enough for her to break free. It wouldn't be fun if this trespasser suffocated now. We are to the landing, and I hold the girl at the edge of it. Her feet try to find purchase, but she will find none. My mouth stretches into a wide grin, but I don't let go just yet. I want to savor this, just as I savored the other 13 deaths before her. Just as I savored watching my unfaithful, conniving husband bleed out with his mistress beside him. I was so overwhelmed with emotions then that I just laughed and laughed. I was still laughing when they led me to the gallows in the aftermath. I laugh now as I let my hand release. I watch the second the girl is suspended in air before gravity finishes my work. The sounds were as glorious as I thought they would be. I'll check on the results later. I have four more souls to add to my tally, but with them... I think I will really take my time, for a damned soul like mine has nothing but time. Ooh, creepy. (laughs) So she came back after being executed and has taken others with her. Apparently. Mm. A little bit of an evil soul there. Yeah. All right. And our first place winner, who not only is getting a medal, but also a hoodie with the History Ghost Bump logo on it, is Bobby Watts. Her story is called The Boy Who Counted. Just smile through it. That's what Katie said to herself as she waited for Miss Montgomery's front door to open. A strange feeling overcame her as soon as she rang the doorbell. a common occurrence since she and her mother moved into their new neighborhood and it had been happening more frequently. Luckily, the feeling never lasted for long. Oh, hi, you must be Katie. Nice to finally meet you. Come in, a cheery woman said as the door opened wide. Having only seen her a few times in passing, Katie didn't know much about her neighbor, Miss Montgomery, only that she was a single mother of boys. Yes, ma'am, Katie replied as she walked through the doorway. I'm so sorry our first time meeting is me asking you to do this huge favor. Well, asking your mom to ask you to do me this favor, Miss Montgomery said with a laugh. Oh, it's no problem. I used to babysit a lot in my hometown. I'm used to last-minute requests, Katie said as she looked around the foyer. The feeling she had standing outside wasn't fading away, and it seemed to intensify as she studied the home. Well, thank you so much for helping me out. Your mom spoke highly about your way with kids, and that will definitely come in handy with my boys. I hate to meet and run, but I need to leave now if I'm going to make the meeting in time. 
I left notes on the counter telling you everything you need to know about the boys in the house. And there should be plenty of pizza left if you're hungry. Help yourself to anything, Miss Montgomery said hurriedly as she grabbed her purse and began heading towards the garage door. Hi, a little boy said suddenly, startling Katie. Shuffling behind him was another small boy, seemingly shy. As Katie said hello to the boys, a lanky teenager walked in, going straight to the kitchen without saying a word. Don't mind him. He just thinks 13 is old enough to stay home without a sitter, Miss Montgomery whispered as she walked past Katie. So these are my boys. Boys, this is Katie. Be nice and please behave. With that, Miss Montgomery closed the door. Katie turned to look at the boys. So who's who? I'm Jacob, the young redheaded one said excitedly. And that's Josh, he said about the older boy who was already making his way back upstairs. And who are you? She asked the shy one. She could tell was the youngest. Peter, he said enthusiastically. Katie was pleased he was already opening up. All right, Katie said. So where's that pizza? Katie listened intently as the two little boys rattled on through the evening. She barely got a word in as the boys entertained her with stories of their games and adventures. She was so preoccupied with them that she didn't get a chance to read Miss Montgomery's lengthy notes. And Josh kept mostly to himself, only making occasional appearances. As Jacob chatted on about another one of his favorite cartoons, Katie noticed Peter looking at her, counting quietly. Or was he looking behind her? Either way, it was still unnerving, she thought. Four, five, he whispered. He does that sometimes, Jacob said when he saw Katie looking at Peter. He added, sometimes I can see them too. What are you counting, Peter? Katie said, feeling even more uneasy than before. Just things I see, he replied, shyly looking down. Like what? I don't know. I guess misty shapes made of clouds, he mumbled. Yeah, Jacob chimed in. They look like balls of smoke. Nervously, Katie turned her head to look behind her. After seeing what she thought was movement out of the corner of her eye, she turned in her chair to get a better look down the hallway, her heart beating fast. Of course, it's dark, she thought, annoyed with her luck. But she continued to stare, determined to prove to herself that it was only her imagination getting the best of her. Just as she thought she sent something move again in the darkness, Josh pounded down the stairs, causing Katie to jump. To hide her embarrassment, Katie stood up and said, Wow, it's late. I think it's time for you boys to get ready for bed. That was met with moans from both boys. Oh, I know, but I'm sure your mom would like you ready for bed by the time she gets home. Ah, the boys said in a chorus, but then raced each other upstairs. After grabbing a water from the fridge, Josh turned to Katie. You know, mom just humors him, right? You don't have to, he chuckled. What do you mean, the counting? Yeah, everything, Josh said, sipping his water. At that moment, the garage door opened and Miss Montgomery walked in. Ugh, never run for president of a PTA, Miss Montgomery exclaimed, exasperated, dropping her purse on the counter. Were the boys any trouble, she asked, walking into the kitchen and opening a pizza box. No, not at all. They were great. They do love to talk, Katie said, smiling at Josh. They? I can barely get anything out of Josh here, Miss Montgomery joked as Josh rolled his eyes and made his way back upstairs. Yeah, they were great. It was pretty uneventful, really, Katie said, shaking off the creepy feeling she still had. Peter did do that counting thing, but Jacob told me it's just something he does. Miss Montgomery was placing the pizza in the microwave. I'm sorry, she chuckled. What? Yeah, Peter, his counting. He says he counts these misty things he sees. They do have very active imaginations. You mean Jacob, Miss Montgomery said, looking at Katie puzzled. Yeah, Jacob and Peter, Katie replied, yet questionably. Peter? His imaginary friend, Peter? You are good with kids, Miss Montgomery said, laughing while turning back to the microwave. I'm sorry, what? His what? It, 
It was all in my notes. I mentioned that Jacob has an imaginary playmate named Peter. We think it's his way of dealing with the divorce. I thought I was clear on the notes, Miss Montgomery said, stopping to look at Katie. It was then a definite cold chill ran up Katie's spine. This time she was sure it had everything to do with Peter standing in the doorway of the kitchen, staring at her and counting softly. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I loved the twist of that story. I did too. Absolutely. Very, very clever. Kelly, those were wonderful stories. They were so amazing. They were creepy and engaging and just wonderful. I had a blast reading them. We want to thank all of you for being around, hanging around. Some of you, it's been almost six years. For others, it's been, I don't know, six days. (laughs) It could be. (laughs) But we appreciate all of you. And Kelly, here's to another wonderful year. We're kicking off October right now. Just love this month. It's not only my birthday month, but it's the anniversary of the podcast. And then we have Halloween coming up and we have lots of great stuff going on. So again, if you haven't joined us in the Spooktacular crew, please do so. That way you can keep abreast of all of the wonderful things we have going. Most definitely. I want to thank you all for listening to this anniversary show. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. Keep, keep it, it spooky. spooky. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.